Do you find yourself wishing you had more energy, healthier habits, or fun family activities? At the YMCA, you can find your passion, find family fun, and find your happy place, all while supporting your community. Join the Y in March with a $0 enrollment fee and enjoy motivating group exercise classes, heated pools, pickleball, and so much more. Visit YMCADC.org to learn more and to find your nearest Y in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia today. People are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial 529. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Mark. Laura, Mark, how was your vacation last week? Uh, it was so wonderful. You I managed refreshed. Yes, I managed not to get sunburned, which is a difficult feat for me because I go out in the sun for like five minutes and immediately um I think melanomas start planning on like <laughs> popping Attacking. out of my skin. <laughs> So um, that was great. Ate so much good seafood, got to swim in the ocean, put my feet in the sand, relax. I was pretty much uh, inebriated most of the time. (laughs) So it was all great. We played board games. It was fun. Laura is pale, though. When I was doing the most recent Landy (laughs) with her, I was looking at the side by side of me and her. I'm like, oh, my God. Laura's like a white wall compared to me. Yes, I am very pale. I will say that in my office, I sit directly in front of a window. So I, I do get that natural light coming in, which I believe makes me appear paler on camera. But that could just be my wishful thinking. Um, I'm decidedly less pale now, very freckly. So do you face the window or does your back face the window? I face the window. Oh, and it still has no effect. Well, it's like silvery white light that comes through. What do you want from me? <laughs> also, I, I wear black lipstick. Like, yes, I was going to say that. Paler. That makes it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Depending no, on who you talk matter. to, I think, you know. Oh, yeah. There's something wrong with being pale. Andrew's anyway. like, it's just not as good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Mark, you're officially moved in now, right? Yep. Wow. What's that like? Regretting it yet? It's like when I came over before, only I don't get to go home. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> only all of his stuff is here. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Has he paid rent on time, Laura? Um, We're not really at the rental due date at this point, so we'll see. I'll keep everybody posted. Well, isn't the beauty of being the homeowner that you make the due date? Yeah. And, and that is the beauty, especially when you're living with a partner. <laughs> Breaking news. Mark was evicted. <laughs> Well, (laughs) I guess I'm an asshole because I made Pat pay me first. (laughs) He's already paid me for August. Did did he have to pay first in last month? No, no, (laughs) no. But there's a pet fee. There's a A move-in fee. fee. (laughs) There's a you're going to be cooking a lot and using a lot of the gas fee. Well, I would waive the pet fee if I were Pat, if I was going to (laughs) be cooking. (laughs) I'm kidding. There's no extra fees i didn't think so but for a second i was like maybe well oh oh i finally know what i know now what my recommendation is going to be this week but i'm not going to bring it up i'll do it later okay what a tease hold on let me write it down in the show notes otherwise i'm gonna 100 <laughs> percent forget okay got it 
So I actually have a story, and this this is kind of an update on last week's discussion. Pat was on, and we recapped a wedding that we went to. One part of the story I didn't tell, and the story evolved after we recorded that last episode. So at one point during the wedding, all the cousins decide to go outside for a family photo. And since I'm like only hanging out with the cousins, I decide to tag along outside. And I'm observing quietly everything going on. And they start forming around grandma for the group photo. And I do not step into the photo because I know my place. I am not really a part of this family. I'm not married into the family. Most of these people, 95% of the people there only met me for the first time today. I understand I don't belong in the photo. So I stay out of it. I stay off to the side. But the mother of the groom who had met me earlier that night said, oh, Andrew, come in the picture. Come in the picture. I'm like, I don't want to do this, but fine. I'll go in the picture. So I stand next to Pat's two gay cousins who I had met earlier that evening. And we're at the very end <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the group. And I, I've just met Pat's gay cousins as well. So even though I'm standing right next to them, I don't even touch them. I put my hand be- behind one of their, one of their backs. But I don't even like, you know, I don't even do the buddy buddy thing, like arm over shoulder, any of that, because I know this is brand new. So photos taken, whatever. Right after we recorded last week's episode, I go on Facebook and Patrick Fincutter has been tagged in a photo. It's the group photo. I have been fucking cropped out. Who uploaded this photo? The gays. Patrick's gay cousins cropped me out of this photo. And the photo says, congrats, Drew and Megan. Some cousins and a few spouses. Not pictured. More missing cousins. Oh, also not pictured? Me. Me. I'm going to send you guys this photo. Oh, my God. You can see my fucking legs in this photo. But not the so rest I'm not of gonna me. Because I got cropped out. This is horrible. It's it's a really mean spirited thing to do. But I'm glad my mic was muted because I spit out my drink when you got to the punchline. Oh, I wish it wasn't. <laughs> I wish it wasn't muted. Can you? I mean, I am. I saw this. I was fucking pissed. I was like, Pat, can you believe this shit? And then he's like, Oh well, so and so is is uh, kind of uh, a bitch, or I don't know. He used some other word. I'm like, Oh, now you tell me. Look at this. I just sent it in Slack. Sorry, Mark, you can't see it. If you look on the left, you can see my two feet, but not the so rest wait, of me because I was cropped out. Which cousin was the one that did this? The two on the left. Okay, so they conspired <laughs> to crop you out, right? <laughs> Right. They were like, sorry, we have too many you... gay people in this picture. <laughs> Did you like it out of protest just to make Fuck them squirm no. with it? Because I, I reported it. I reported it for <laughs> spam. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Look, look, Pat's family, they're a Wisconsin family. Probably most of them are Trump supporters. Probably most of them are a little iffy on gay people. If I'm the gay person in the family, shouldn't I be including Pat's boyfriend in the photo? To kind of just like, you know, normalize gay people. Right. Instead of cropping me out. <sighs> My thing is, too, is that I'm sure that they took a lot of photos before they asked you to jump in. Like, usually that happens. And I hate when this happens, by the way, because like, you don't want to be in the picture. They don't really want you in the picture. But then they ask so you can't say no. 
and right. then you're screwed, right? But, like, couldn't they have just picked something else? Exactly. And the other thing is, you can clearly see that somebody is standing off to the side on the left. <laughs> well, also I mean- now, now it's like uneven because you have three people on the right, but then they cropped out you. You would have been like the third person on the left. Yeah. And I just, I was so, I, I ranted in Slack once I saw this last week. And I'm just like, I didn't want to be in that photo. I didn't want to. And then they have to go and hurt me by cropping me out. And the gay people, of all people, I would have maybe expected this of a, of a straight person. But gay guys? What I don't get is like, put the full fucking photo up on Facebook where you're going to tag everybody so that you're not being a dick. <laughs> and if it really is that important to you, crop Andrew out of like the physical family photo that you print and frame. <laughs> like, right, you're never right. going to see that, right? Like That's so true. Right, so just don't be a dick. How shady would it be if I tagged myself in the photo right now? I just tagged my foot. <laughs> just, tagged, just, just tag your, your, just your feet. feet. I would just give it a big old heart. <laughs> and then just comment like, love this picture of me. I really appreciate how you captured how shapely my legs are. <laughs> or just comment on it and be like, love this photo, love this family. Right. Right. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable, Pat. He's walking by me right now. I mean, it's not his fault. No, it's not his fault. You can't fault. hold he was people like... accountable for their shitty families. Right, right, right. Anyway, so we also just wanted to touch on these two horrible back-to-back shootings that occurred in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio. There was a statement you wanted to read, Laura? Yeah, I thought this was a really interesting statement from the Southern Poverty Law Center. And the reason for this is like we have talked about gun violence and mass shooting on this show ad nauseum. And I feel like if we were to go into our usual diatribe, we wouldn't be saying anything different from what we've said the other 200 or so times this has happened over the course of this show's runtime. So I thought we would share this Um They said, by describing immigrants in derogatory terms, President Trump is pushing anti-immigrant hate into the mainstream. Trump has broken the bounds of decency, and his rhetoric and tweets are normalizing anti-immigrant sentiments and fueling white supremacist conspiracy theories that engender violence. As we head into another election cycle, Trump shows no signs of stopping and is, in fact, doubling down on his efforts to turn the country into an increasingly unwelcome environment for anyone who isn't white. To pretend that his administration and the hateful rhetoric it spreads doesn't play a role in the kind of violence we saw yesterday in El Paso is ignorant and at best irresponsible at worst. We cannot mm. ignore the role Trump that Trump's policies, appointments, and rhetoric play in the ongoing instances of domestic terror that continue to bl- plague our country. In referring to immigrants as rapists and invaders, threatening ICE raids, separating families, and laughing off chants of send her back, Trump is emboldening ideologies that turn into real-life violence, making America a more dangerous place for all of us, and particularly the communities Trump targets. These two shootings have obviously gotten a lot of attention, and it's the back-to-back nature of them. The fact that they were back-to-back kind of lessened the numb feelings we've had in recent years because there have been, of course, still a steady stream of these mass shootings. But And I think we noted this on the show a while back. We are growing numb to it. Even we grow numb to it. Everybody on the left Mm -hmm. is growing numb to it. But when the El Paso shooting happens, you see, oh, my God, that's terrible, 20 people. And then, at least for me, I woke up 
the next morning to the notification about this other shooting. At first, I thought it was an old notification about the El Paso shooting. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. fuck me. Another one in Ohio so soon. It really rattled people to their core. And unfortunately, that's what it has taken to get people to really be talking about it again. And even for us to open the show with it. We wouldn't have been talking about this probably if it was just Dayton or just El El Paso. And then on Monday, for about 15 minutes, Trump won in stronger background checks and it was a big deal. And New York Times was like, oh, Trump wants stronger background checks. Well, a couple hours pass. Then in a speech that he gives, he does not mention these stronger background checks that he tweeted out hours earlier. He did fucking say that the shooting happened in Toledo, Ohio, instead of Dayton. Did you see that? Yes. Well, he's also pairing his call for stronger background checks with his rhetoric on immigration reform, to which I would posit the question, were either of these shooters immigrants? No. Wow. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like, nice one, Trump. Like, maybe try to do... Oh, could you imagine if these were immigrants? When the El Paso shooting occurred, I was praying it was not an illegal immigrant because the border would have been shut down yesterday. To be fair, a lot of these border towns in Texas, you know, um, it's like they have a very interesting relationship with Mexico. You know, a lot of people like... A lot of students go to school back and forth or a lot of people live in Mexico because it's cheaper and they come and they work and they pay American taxes over in Texas. Um, it's it's like despite all of the racism in this country, it's a very symbiotic relationship. And you see that a lot in places like Texas or even uh, closer to the border in California. So, yes, agreed. And that's why it, it's so interesting when you see the difference between uh, conservatives who are not from border states and conservatives who are. Um, George W. Bush, not my favorite president. I agreed with him on a lot of immigration policy because he was a Texas governor. He was the governor of a border state. He understood that relationship and he was in favor of a guest worker program, which ultimately we didn't get in the capacity that he was hoping for. But when you get people who have actually lived that experience, you get a lot more nuanced perspectives on the issues, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on. That's so true. He also blamed video games. And this is a popular argument on the right. He said, we have a culture that celebrates violence. And he spoke about how video games are glorifying violence. So he wants to put a stop to violent video games. And he mentioned that a couple of times. And this debate has come up before. I actually kind of agree that video games and movies and TV shows, which he did not mention, also glorify violence. And it, it, it's probably not helpful. However, so many freaking people watch these gory movies, watch these TV shows, play these video games. It doesn't it, it it doesn't affect them. It doesn't turn them into shooters. No. And I I disagree. I have always disagreed with this line of thinking. It's it's as though to suggest that like the average person is incapable of separating reality from fiction. Uh sorry, somebody's texting me and I forgot to silence my phone. The average person doesn't struggle with that, and somebody who does struggle with that is somebody who needs mental health assistance 
Mm-hmm. And you, you can't just put that off on a whole country of people who are consuming video games and movies that might contain this kind of media. But I would also point out that, yeah, we may have a culture that celebrates violence, but guess what? We have a president who celebrates violence. And whether we like it or not, the president is he's the guy at the helm. Right. He's he's the one setting the tone for what is and is not acceptable. America is the only nation that uh, popularizes violent video games is unfactual. And there are so many countries around the world where, you know, games like Fortnite, which is really being brought into play here when you look at Mm -hmm. some of the political pundits on TV, is not popular saying like the UK is factually incorrect. And also, guess what? Like they have gun control laws. So. It's not happening over there. Yeah, actually, we talked about a story uh, maybe a year ago about how divorce rates in the UK were going up because of Fortnite. And that is a horse of a different color. Oh, right. (laughs) Right, exactly. But it's interesting because it's like that further establishes that all of these types of media don't just exist in the vacuum of the United States, right? And like guns exist in other parts of the world, too. So... If we're if we're to say that gun that gun laws and gun control doesn't help this issue, then you would have to be accepting the idea that Americans are just inherently more violent people. But we're supposed to be the best of the best, Laura. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, which is it, guys? And also one thing that's interesting, too, is like, say they were to pass something saying that all video games that have violence, right, weren't allowed to be made anymore. Where does it stop? Like, what is too much violence in a video game? And also, like, think about all the stories throughout history. Like, even, like, really, really, really old stories like Hamlet and things like that. There's plenty of violence in those. Or even the Bible. Jesus is freaking crucified. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like, all of these are stories. Like, every, every video game or every, like, movie or show or whatever that has violence in it. Yeah, there are varying degrees of how much you're connecting with that medium because of how much control you have or whatever. But like, no one's saying shit about Game of Thrones, and like everybody watches that, and that's the most <laughs> like somebody's not going to say who, but somebody's head gets squished like a grape in that show. Like, yeah, no yep. one said shit about that. Like, oh, you know that's next though. I bet that's next. The right's going to yeah. start harping on Game of Thrones. Yeah, but I mean, no, it's, you're, it's, you're right. It's I, look, I I stand by what I said. I think I think violent video games do normalize things however it's the and and it makes fun out of murdering people however it's the combination it's it's being messed up in the head it's having access to guns it's having probably other problems in your life when i play red dead redemption 2 available now on playstation 4 i love slowing down time and getting these hot spots on people where i can shoot them point blank in the head in the heart in the lungs I can slow down time and see that so I can fucking nail them and kill them. I love that. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and actually do that. The difference is you're not an unstable individual, right? I mean, there is a degree of personal accountability here. And do I think that just because the president of the United States encourages people to punch people at his rallies, which he has done, does that mean that people shouldn't have half a brain and decide, you know what, I'm not going to do that because that's not the right thing to do? Of course they shouldn't. Right. But when you're looking for something to project all of your fears on and you have the leader of the free world giving you 
a blank canvas of scapegoats, it's a pretty easy jump into that kind of violence. So I think that if we're going to start doling out blame as to like what is increasing violence more in this country, Trump wins every fucking time. (laughs) Mm hmm. Yeah. And to what you said, Andrew, like, I feel like games and books and movies and all these things should be tools, right? So say you do have a like, say you have a really, really like fucked up day, right? Just terrible. You have a lot of frustration. Say you play Red Dead. And you're like, you know, you have your, you know, slow down time spree and you're like, okay, like there's a certain level of catharsis that you get from that, that you're like, okay, I got some of that aggression out, right? Say none of that exists. Say, Say there was no violent anything. And I'm not saying there are there are there aren't ways to let out frustration that you know don't have to do with violence there are but there's a certain level of release you get that just lets you let go of it like imagine if you just had to hold on to that all the time with no constructive or harmless way to let that out no that's a great point it's a great point well does anyone here think anything is going to change after these two incidents I, yeah. I think that the moment that this no. country decided that uh, 21st graders getting gunned down was okay, we lost that fight a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's so funny seeing people like, you know, Moscow Mitch, which I think we should all call him from now on because he really, really hates that name, um, coming out and being horrified about this. I'm like looking at those people and thinking, well, the House passed a bipartisan background checks bill like six months ago and you've blocked the vote on it so mm-hmm. what's good mitch like <laughs> yeah yeah well it really does all come down to mitch mcconnell he won't even entertain a vote which is messed up so yeah the house can bring a bill but then mitch is just gonna shut it down all, all he does is get through trump's nominees for the courts and whatnot great everything is great by the way, briefly jumping back to our conversation about getting cropped out of photos, a couple of people chimed in on Discord. Carolyn said that she's going to Photoshop me into her next family photo because <laughs> she lives in Wisconsin and she wants to help Oh, me. that's a Thank great you, social media challenge. Photoshop Andrew into your family photos. <laughs> Actually, what Pat should do is text the gay cousin and be like, hey, I like that photo, but could you send me the full version? I want the version with Andrew in it. Kind of, you know, yeah, oh God, that'd be funny. Yeah, wouldn't it? All right. Well, we have a bunch of news to get to today. But first. Yeah. Before we move on to some news, we wanted to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, BioClarity. BioClarity comes with everything you need to get clear, glowing skin and is one of those brands that just works. What healthy eating does for your body, BioClarity does for your face. I've been using BioClarity for well over a year now, and I swear by it. I used to struggle with blackheads in my T-zone and dryness everywhere else, but after I started using the essentials routine from BioClarity for normal to dry skin, my face is smoother, brighter, and more hydrated. As I mentioned, I use the Essentials Routine. It comes with everything you need to nurture, hydrate, and restore your skin because it's packed full of detoxifying and calming nutrients, antioxidants, and a super special ingredient called Floralux, which is derived from plants. You can only find Floralux in BioClarity. 
It's absolutely more than just a cleanser. It nourishes and soothes the skin. It also helps with redness, hyperpigmentation, and evens out skin tone and texture for a healthy glow. All this in three easy steps, cleanse, restore, and hydrate. My combination oily dry skin loves the hydrate step of this routine because it keeps my dry sections in good shape while not overwhelming my oily T-zone. These products are 100% vegan, cruelty-free, paraben-free, sulfate-free, and artificial fragrance-free. On top of that, BioClarity offers a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee. Get healthier, more radiant skin by going to bioclarity.com. And right now, for our listeners, you'll save 40% on skincare routines, plus an additional 15% off everything on their website. That's an incredible deal, but you need to enter our code MIL at checkout. So go to bioclarity.com and get 40% off skincare routines, plus an additional 15% off everything on their website when you use our code MIL at checkout. Thank you, BioClarity, especially for being a longtime sponsor of the show. Yeah, they were one of our first sponsors, right? I think so. And they've stuck with so. us all this time. Because they're legit. Yeah. <laughs> they really work and help us. All right. Well, jumping into some news, somewhat related to the news we were talking about at the top of the show, uh, a majority of House Democrats now support opening an impeachment inquiry. I'm sure you guys saw this as a breaking news headline over the last couple of days. What were your reactions to this? Um, it was nice to see, but it wasn't like, oh, this means that the impeachment process is actually going to begin. Right. Uh, for me, I saw that and I was like, wow, they all came around just in time for Congress's summer recess. Woo fucking who, guys. Um, and then shortly after this, Pelosi came out and made a statement in which she vowed the president will be held accountable, but being super vague about how that was going to happen and just sort of like leaning back on the current investigations happening um, on the House right. Judiciary. She's always said that, right? Yeah. He'll be held accountable. We don't know how we'll do it, but he'll be held accountable. Yeah, Right. There yeah. are so many ways that you could hold him accountable. And many yeah. of them only hold him accountable in the history books. It doesn't involve any jail time or loss of his office or anything like that that would substantially affect him in his lifetime. Right. It's not enough for me to say like, oh, the history books will frown upon his legacy. Fuck that. That does give me some comfort. Doesn't it give you some comfort just no. knowing that? No. No, because I feel like if we don't do anything, the GOP are the ones who are going to be writing the history books. And the chances of, you know, seeing the Trump administration for what it really was are diminished by us sitting by and doing nothing. And the history books might be burning with That's Earth. That's true, too. Right. We'll go back to teaching kids that, you know, dinosaurs wore saddles for us to, you know, <laughs> mount them and that angels existed. Because That's not? not all true. I thought I learned that in my history class. <sighs> if you grew up in Texas, you might have. <laughs> I grew up in Texas, so I'm allowed to say that. Um, so this is a point of frustration for me because I feel like we have Dems just all over the fucking place when it comes to pretty much anything right now. But impeachment is a good topic to examine this with because we have Dems who are like Pelosi being super vague about how like we're going to hold him accountable. Don't worry. Um, 
there's only one year until the election, but don't worry, we're going to do it. Um, And then we've got people who are now in favor of the inquiry. Some of those people who are in favor of an inquiry are saying, I'm not in favor of impeachment, but I'm in favor of inquiring about impeachment. Um, And then we've got some people like Jerry Nadler who are saying, yeah, even though we're not calling it an impeachment inquiry, that's pretty much what we're doing right now anyway. What would it even mean to inquire about impeachment? Like you look up the definition of impeachment and you you create a little like pros and cons chart. I I mean, that's probably a very simplified version of what it would look like. Um, But generally, impeachment inquiries are just a way for the House to open up avenues to investigate a president for impeachment. But the point that Nadler has brought up is that they're already investigating the Trump administration and Trump himself on a number of counts. And according to him, what they're investigating him for currently is a scope that is actually much broader than impeachment. He claims that if we went the impeachment inquiry route, we'd be limited to just the impeachment option. But he says that what they're doing right now actually gives them multiple options, not just impeachment. I'm not quite sure what those other options would be since you can't indict a sitting president. But I'm just personally frustrated because I feel like now more than ever, we need a unified opposition party. And that's not what we have. Mm -hmm. It's like herding fucking cats. And it's exactly the kind of stuff that loses the Democrats elections again and again. Mm. I need them to figure out what the fuck it is they're going to do. And I need them... I actually need them to take a, a a leaf out of the Republican playbook. I need them to get into lockstep on whatever the fuck it is. I need them to be aligned because that's something that the GOP does very well. The GOP is so good at getting their representatives, their people, their voters all into lockstep, all into line behind whatever objective it is they have in mind. Nancy needs like a big group chat where she can just spread a message really quick and then have everybody repeat it. I think that you would have a hard time with that because right now Nancy is a little bit divided from the majority of her caucus. The majority of her caucus wants to open an impeachment inquiry. She still doesn't. Do you think this is going to continue snowballing and they're going to reach a point where... Because, of course, they need a majority of people in the House to vote for this, not just Democrats. So do you think there's going to be enough Democrats to push them over the edge at some point? Or is this just moving too slow? I mean, Democrats make up the majority of the House. So if they could convince all 235 of them to go for it, then, yeah, they'd be able to Well, that's to what I mean. Yeah. But do you think enough of them, will we get enough of those Democrats in the next year, let's say? If the trend continues as it has been, I would say yes. Um, Particularly given the fact that over the last couple of weeks, we've gotten about two dozen people to flip on this. And the majority of them are actually people who were elected in districts where Trump won. So these were Democrats Mm. whose seats are kind of in danger because they Mm -hmm. come from Trump districts um, who've now flipped 
on the impeachment inquiry question. If we're to look at the history of how people's votes have flipped on this as we get closer to the 2020 election, I would say, yeah, it's definitely possible. Whether Pelosi is going to let it happen, that's what's really up in the air. Yeah. Um, but I did want to get y'all's thoughts. I, I want to take everybody's temperature on this. Uh, how are we feeling about impeachment at this point? Pam, do you want to um, start? Sure. Honestly, I, it's at this point, it's taking too long that I'm so indifferent on the idea. And it's so weird because I think the last, well, I know the last impeachment we were all alive for was Bill Clinton's situation. And that seems so much smaller in terms of like what we're dealing with now. So it's just so right. weird. Yeah, he got his dick sucked. Right. <laughs> And that, and I mean, to be fair, he did perjure himself. Yeah. So, but like we're talking about, he did you that. know, corroborating and all of this other shit. And it just seems like, I don't know, it just seems so crazy to me that that moved over, moved forward so quickly. Yeah. And that's because, again, Republicans have no fear. If the tables were turned right now and we had President Hillary Clinton and the same set of circumstances applied and it turned out that she had like kind of tried to collude with Russia but was too dumb to actually do it, but then tried to obstruct people from finding out about her kind of sort of collusion, they would have been like opening up impeachment proceedings on day one. I mean, they're still chanting law parades and Hillary's living her yeah. best life. God knows where. So. I know they, they're they still so yeah. obsessed with her. Um, and that's that's really a testament to the machine that is the Republican Party. Uh, I don't admire them for that, but it is certainly effective and continues to be. I saw this great tweet probably a year or two ago now. Donald Trump will never forgive Hillary Clinton for losing the election. <laughs> He's True. mad he, he won. <laughs> I, I, That's why he I, keeps bringing up Hillary. I genuinely don't think he wanted to win. Oh, you saw it on his no. face when they announced it. Yeah. He he was he 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 wanted to lose. Uh, he didn't want to lose, but he just wanted to move on with his life, start the Trump TV network you know, another Fox News and make all his money that way. Now he's stuck in the Oval Office. Yeah, I think that he wanted to write off his failed campaign as a way to uh, mm. recoup some of that money from all those bankruptcies he's had. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, my feeling on impeachment is I don't want it because once that ball gets rolling, it's going to be nonstop. Oh, Democrats can't get over the fact that they lost the 2016 election, can't get over the fact that Mueller turned up nothing, blah, 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 blah. And I I would rather we all just focus on the 2020 election and get him out that way. I really don't give a crap about this impeachment process. It would take four freaking ever. It would be stressful on the whole country. It would divide us more than ever. But I, do I don't think it's worry worth it. That- it's like a damned if you do damned if you don't situation right because you bring up a really good point but then on the flip side if the democrats do nothing they're alienating a huge chunk of people that are really frustrated that nothing's been done 
And I do kind of wonder yeah. how that are they alienating like Can't- the election results. Yeah, I mean, the 2018 midterm was a referendum on Trump. And so many of the people who came out and flipped those Republican seats to blue, a lot of them are pro-impeachment. A lot of these candidates ran on a pro-impeachment platform. And my fear is that not doing anything would suppress turnout in 2020 from people who feel disenfranchised because the promises that were being made to them not two years earlier have not been fulfilled. My other fear, and, and I agree with Pam here, I think it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, because if they don't do anything, then the talking point during the entire campaign is going to be, oh, look at the Democrats. They were so convinced that we did something wrong and they wasted all this taxpayer money and it showed that nothing happened, even though that's not what it showed at all. But their followers don't read, so it doesn't matter. And they'll go on and on about how, yeah, see, they couldn't even open an impeachment inquiry. If they had the evidence, why didn't they do it? Yeah. And it'll be this constant, like, punting of responsibility back on the Democratic Party when really it's the opposite that should be happening. My other thing is I I, I just feel like it's what's right. I I think that we have to show that our laws and our institutions mean something because this president just steamrolls over them again and again. And I'm really afraid that we've opened a Pandora's box here and I don't think that it'll just be uh, germane to the right. I think that any number of people with political aspirations across the spectrum will look at the Trump model, see how successful it was, see that he faced no repercussions. And we're going to see this same scenario play out again and again and again, unless we do something to show that there are repercussions and we will stand up to this kind of thing. If we just sort of like tacitly let it happen, I'm afraid of what precedent that sets for future presidencies and future uh, congresses. If he wins in 2020, then yes, we have a problem. But if he loses in 2020, that is the repercussion. If 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 you're an asshole, if you're not following the rule of law, if you don't know how to spell basic words, <laughs> if you treat women poorly. If you flip flop like crazy, if your staff is incredibly incompetent, if you're, you know, going against everything the Constitution and America stands for, the repercussion is you can't win another term. So wh- I, I would just rather we focus on that. I feel like that's a, a clearer message, a clearer path to victory. Let's have a strong turnout like we did in 2018, but stronger with some strong candidates. I get her done. I just. I do not feel confident that we have 2020 even remotely in the bag. My my fear, and it, here's another thing, it was just came out a few days ago. It turned out that there was Russian uh, interference in all 50 states, not just yeah. the big ones that we like to talk about, Michigan, Wisconsin, like it was everywhere. And with this president in charge... I have zero confidence that it won't happen again in 2020. All right. Well, some other political news. This topic a little bit lighter. Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, 
has introduced a bill banning social media companies from building addictive features into their products. The bill is called the Social Media Addiction Reduction Technology Act, and it would make it illegal (laughs) for social media platforms to hook users by offering them more content than they requested in order to get them to continue on their respective platforms. So, for example, it would ban YouTube's autoplay feature. So, you know, YouTube, it'll just keep playing video after video. It would ban Facebook's and Twitter's and Instagram's infinite scroll, which allows you to just keep going, going, going down your feed. It would also ban things like Snapchat's streaks, which reward users for continuing to send photos to their friends back and forth day after day. And then it would also require the companies to build user-friendly interfaces with features allowing users to limit the amount of time they spend on the platform. You would be limited to 30 minutes per day. And then it would say, hey, time is up. And uh, that would reset every month as well. Um, The addictive features that Holly is targeting are referred to as dark patterns or design features that nudge users into certain behavior without their explicit knowledge. So all of these features just keep you within the apps. Because the more time that you're spending in these apps, the more advertisements you get to see. The more usage Snapchat and Instagram and all these others log about you. And then they can show this to the these investors and be like, hey, look how much time people are spending in our apps. Look how many pe- Look how many ads these people are seeing. Look how addicted they are to our apps. Give us more money. Advertise more. And they just stand to profit off of all of us being addicted. Meanwhile, we socialize less. We get addicted to unhealthy habits. We lose friends, (laughs) which we'll talk about in After Dark today. It doesn't help us. None of these features help us. So I, I, I will offer a caveat here. This bill is probably going to go nowhere. This is from a Republican who probably just wanted some attention. But it is interesting, and it has gotten people talking this week about being addicted to our phones. Does the panel think that apps have a responsibility here to make us less addicted to their apps? Are you guys aware that you all are addicted? And what are you doing about it? Yeah, I mean, I think I've definitely had a social media addiction. Um, It's part of the reason why I deleted the Facebook app off my phone, because I realized how much wasted time I had every day due to Facebook mostly. And it was actually because of um, iOS's screen time feature that showed me just how much of my day was going to scrolling through Facebook. Now, a lot of my day now goes to scrolling through Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't think is much better, but I feel like I'm actually getting a little more substance out of Twitter just because of the format and the kinds of people I opt to follow on there. Um, But again, I don't know that it's super effective to pass legislation requiring these companies to implement limitations on their apps because these kinds of companies are always going to find ways around that. They're going to find loopholes. I think what would be really interesting would be if somebody proposed that social media companies either have to display to you how much ad revenue they have made 
off of your account. (laughs) Because they don't want to do that. I also think it'd be interesting to go a step further and say, hey, Laura made, you know, $200,000 for Facebook over the past five years. I have have no idea if that's actually a real number. Like, hell no. Let's just say, let's just say it was. (laughs) She is entitled to 1% of that money and Facebook should have to pay her. I feel like something like that, that directly hits them in the money is what would create substantive change because money talks. But then people would be more addicted to these apps because they know they're going to get paid for the time they're spending looking at these ads. Yeah, which might force the apps to make some changes to how they're advertising to people. I also just think it like, (laughs) um, I guess it it pulls the wool away, right? Because what these apps have Mm -hmm. in common is that they want you to feel like you're part of the community and not just a number or a view, you know, Um, we're going to talk a little bit about YouTube later, but that's why like YouTubers are so successful and why it's really important that, um, you know, we have all these new laws in place about like transparency in terms of advertisement because it's different when you don't see yourself as like another cog in the wheel. Yeah. Pam, Mark, are there any particular apps that you're addicted to that maybe you wish you wouldn't, you weren't mm-hmm. addicted to? I mean, I think I use Twitter the most, but I also use it as like a news aggregation source to keep up with stories and stuff like that so i don't yeah, yeah. but look how carefully you're walking through the well, state because i feel like that's such an I excuse mean... to be like oh i i don't um i'm not addicted to social media because i i'm just like working when i'm on there but obviously like my feed is not just news you know but i do feel yeah. like that adds into the time that i spend using twitter probably like twitter and instagram i guess like twitter like adds more value and knowledge to my life and instagram is just like pleasant to look at so i guess i'll say instagram because that's just all gluttony so and the endless scroll right i actually don't like scroll until i hit the end i know that you and pat last week were talking about how you stop when it says nothing to see here yeah um but i i never hit that i think i'm only on instagram like at most maybe for like five minutes and then i'll you know, like in, in each segment. But but that adds up throughout the so day. So Pam has her so. life together better. How about you, Mark? Are you addicted? I don't, but <laughs> it's because it's like so much, you know? There's almost like too much content and then I get overwhelmed and then I turn it off and then I come back. Yeah, I'd say my biggest one is definitely YouTube, especially on the phone. Because a couple months ago, they started this new thing where if you're looking at a YouTube video on the site, if it knows that it's in the center of your phone, it'll just start playing it. Oh my Ew. god, that gets me all the time. Yeah. I don't know that happens. I, like but- I've yeah, I've my mm-hmm. YouTube consumption has gone way up because I'll be like, I'll go on YouTube for something specific. Like I want to see, I don't know, this Smash Tournament or something that was on on this past weekend. So I'm gonna go look it up and I'll see a random video of something and I'll, and it just once you start looking at it for more than like three seconds, it just starts. So you can't even look at it and be like, mm, no, I don't want to watch it. It'll just start going and you're like uh, I guess I'll look at it a little bit longer, and the it's whole video will play too. Yeah, the whole video will play, and what's even worse is their their trans another translation their uh their subtitle uh system has gotten better. So you can literally like I've watched like five videos before 
without any sound, just looking at looking at it on that list, because it'll just tell you what the people are saying. So like if I'm just watching something and it's like, you know, somebody's oh. like, oh, here's a video how to make this new recipe or something. And I'm just looking at them and that's all you need. All you need is just to see what they're doing and read what they're saying. And I'll just go, oh, now I know how to make orange chicken. And now I know how to do this. And I just came on for five minutes to look at this smash match. And now I'm, you know, now it's 30 minutes later and here I am. Yeah, I'm like watching people pour paint for 10 minutes. Yes. And all I meant to do is go watch like a news recap. Yep. Oh, this has never happened to me before, but it, it reminds me of th- these damn Netflix apps where you mouse over yep. a title and it automatically starts playing a trailer. Yeah, I wish you could. And it mm-hmm. happens for every title. And that's worse. And it's so the frustrating. Audio, it's like their audio just blasts With audio, out. right. Oh my yeah, God. I wish you could turn that off. Can you? I think you should manually know. do I, it no, I don't for think everyone. You can. Yeah. I mean, that's like the word. It feels like somebody, there was another great tweet about this. It, it, it's like, making your way through landmines you want to mm-hmm. go onto a title just for long enough to read the summary but not for the trailer to actually play so it's an art form scrolling through netflix these days to avoid yeah. that nonsense and hulu is worse because um the hulu interface you have to like for apple tv for example you have to like hold down on a show if you want to get to the episode page but if you just click on it it just starts playing the latest episode, which is oh. so stupid. Oh yeah, I was actually spoiled like that once on um on Hulu. I was watching some anime and I clicked on it because it it shows you the anime like homepage, and I was like, oh okay, and it said begin playing, and it began playing the most recent episode, and like a major character died. I'm like, well, now these 27 episodes, I already know this person is dead, so there goes that. Wow. Like, yeah. but, but back to the YouTube thing, one of the smash streamers that I watch a lot, he actually said that a lot of people, a lot of YouTube people, period, are making their splash screens for their video have a lot of text on it. So by the time you finish reading the text on that page or on that screen, it'll start the video automatically. So they make it so you can't Genius. read it all while you're while you're scrolling by because if you could you just wouldn't watch you're like okay i see what the video is about on to the next one but while you're reading it like you'll get halfway through the notice to start right I'm, because you're focused on it for i'm so going long. through yeah, my home page it. right now to see everybody's default images and you're right like a lot of these are super um, yeah. editorialized now that's yeah, so it's like, funny like like instead of being like you know for example there's a new character in smash and it's like this character like we're going like hero from dragon quest review now it'll be like is hero broken find out why while we test blah 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 and oh, they yeah. just have like a whole thing now youtube videos are total clickbait these days mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. see all this clickbait nonsense in the, in the thumbnails and in the headlines i don't blame them for it because websites do it too it's just yeah. the way it's just how you get people more people right. to watch your videos i do kind yeah, of I mean, appreciate people money, yeah. that like they're very transparent about it. They're like, yeah, it's clickbait. Mm. Like, and everybody knows. Yeah. Hey, guys, mm. I need to make the money somehow. Yeah, <laughs> yep. exactly. Maybe one day YouTube will start telling you how much I'm making off of you. That's what they don't so, want. And you know what it really right. comes down to probably is that they don't want, like, if they're making less, they probably don't want to know. But then if somebody's making more, they don't want, like, the other people to know because then it might take a cut out of their pie. 
Yeah. Mm. So, so I, I don't see this bill ever coming to fruition, but I do think it is a very important and interesting discussion because we are we do get addicted to apps. I'll give a recent example. Wizards Unite, the new Harry Potter app. It awards you for checking in daily. And the more days in a row that you check in, the better bonuses that you will receive. You got to keep that streak going to get the good stuff. All these types of techniques just keep you coming back in and it is not healthy, but it's also not our fault. So I just, something needs to be done at some points. I will sit there and scroll endlessly through Twitter and Facebook in particular because I'm often catching up throughout the day because I'm not on it as much. So sometimes I'll be sitting there scrolling for a long ass time to make sure I see everything and Facebook just keeps feeding me. Feeding me those hits. Mm, give it to me. Yeah. More posts. Oh, yeah. Feels so good. I just, I just, I can't quit. I can't quit you. Wouldn't it be interesting if the addictive substance of our generation wasn't cigarettes or sugar, but social media? You get the same high, don't yeah. you, though? To me, Instagram like this... is like my cigarette break. This could be like an episode of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's already a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, that sounds very <laughs> oh, Black yeah. Mirror-esque. And I just want to have a mini Laura's Rage of the Week. In the past few days, with the most recent Instagram update, now, and keep in mind, I'm an Instagram power user, so I don't know if this happens to everybody, but now, instead of just showing me the new posts every time I load up the app, there's a new posts button that I have to tap to see the new posts. Just give me the new posts! Why do I have to press this button first before seeing them? What the fuck? I don't think I've gotten I this that big ass iPhone, yet. so I have to reach for it. Huh? I don't think I, I have that. Don't update have yet. that button. Oh man! Don't update Instagram. It's really bad. <laughs> this, this button. <laughs> you know how, like with Twitter, you, it just automatically loads the new tweets, right? Well, with this, no, not anymore. Now I got to press a button to see the new stuff, and and. That type of thing, and Laura was criticizing Wizards Unite for having to press the collect button on the most recent episode. They do that so then they can report those stats to those investors, to their mm-hmm. investors. Look at how many people are hitting the new posts button. Look how many people are hitting the big shiny collect button. They want more. They can't get enough. Invest in us. Give us money. Yeah. That really annoys me every time I have to do it because I don't remember to go in there. So for a minute, I was just hanging on level six for like ever. And then I went into my vault or whatever the fuck it is. I don't pay attention to any of this stuff. And I had like a zillion collect buttons for things that I hadn't gotten yet because I'd already achieved the task, but Mm -hmm. they required me to go in and claim my prize. In famous, Laura, there's a little red badge on the icon, so you know there's stuff for you to collect. But there's so much, as you've pointed out before, though, there is so there are so many nooks and crannies to Wizards Unite. Yeah. You have to go digging. I don't want to do that. It's a game. I want to enjoy myself. I want to unwind. I don't want to go looking work. for what is rightly mine based on the work <laughs> I've already done. That would be like my employer being like, hey, you came in and did the job. Uh, but to get your paycheck, you need to log in and actually click accept. Yeah. Like, this no. Is, no, you're right. And this is kind of my point with the new posts button on Instagram. I don't want to work to see the new posts. I want to load up the app and see 
the latest photos of of gay guys in my Instagram feed. Anyway, uh, Mark, you have a little video game update for us. Yeah. So this past weekend was Evo, which uh, a couple months ago I was talking about a Evo in Japan where there was a big controversy controversy because Smash uh, wasn't allowed, and neither was I think it was I think it was Tekken I think. But Nintendo was basically causing a big stink about them not sponsoring that event. And because they weren't sponsoring it, they couldn't use Smash in the tournament. And on the flip side of that, now for EVO 2019, Smash had the highest number of entrants out of all the games that were there at EVO, which is a big deal. Because usually that's like Street Fighter, which has been around forever, and you know Tekken and Soul Calibur and all these other you know big fighting games. So that was really exciting. Uh, first placed at Smash, just to show you how big of a tournament this was, was $21,000. So the person who won oh. got twenty one grand for, for one how much win. time? How much time did they spend, you think? Uh, at the tournament, well, it was a weekend thing. So I'd say maybe they start Friday in pools. Uh, top 32 is Saturday and top eight is Sunday. So three days, roughly. You know, That's a, I make about 21000 in a weekend. So that, that, there you go. that yeah. seems fair. Yeah. Yeah, you know, regular stuff, normal stuff. But uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, it was nice to see kind of the turnaround from last time, whereas Nintendo was basically being like, no, we're not going to let Smash be in there in the Japan Evo. And then the American Evo was like, yeah, sure. Like, and not only that, but it had the most signups, you know, out of, out of any of the games, which was pretty interesting. Uh, and then also just talking about, competitive game culture in general like there's been just been a bunch of you know fortnite on and overwatch on on espn now like they're just on tv like my mom told me she saw she was going browsing through the channels and she saw overwatch on espn and she didn't know what was going on and i was like that's that is very, bizarre yeah it's it's it's, well, it's weird like it's weird even hearing my mom talk about overwatch like she asked me what it was and i was like how do you know that you shouldn't Know and then that, that like fifteen year old won the Fortnite competition and won what three million? Yeah. Oh man, I <sighs> loved that. There was there were so many people trying to give him shit, and like this one person, I forgot it was one YouTuber, and she was like, "Oh, like you think this is a job? This isn't a job." And he was like, "I literally play this game and train for this game." like 12 hours a day and i just made three million dollars and he was like how much do you make in your job again and i was like "Ooh, kid easy man (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i i agree it shouldn't be any different than professional athletics right yeah it's a skill it is a skill it's kind of yeah it's kind of bizarre to to say but and you have to practice it like the person who won smash he has streams like he he streams on twitch and he shows his practice sessions and he'll be streaming for like 10 hours just practicing one thing. Like I'm going to practice this one setup over and over and over and over. And he just – and that's all he does. So like when he comes – you know, when he goes into the storm and wins $20,000, $20, I'm like, you know, you earned it. Like I, if you put that much time into it, then by all means, you know. It's not like it's gambling. That would be one thing. He just rolls in and gets lucky and then gets a mill or something. But – and he yeah. yells, Mom, more Hot Pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure if this 15-year-old keeps it up, he could buy Hot Pockets, like all of them, like the company. <laughs> but um, yeah, just without all that being said, I'm just curious, like, what, where do we think it's going to go? Like, how do we think, 
the competitive scene is going to go. Like, do you think it'll be a, a a situation where in a couple of years we'll we'll start browsing through Prime or like Netflix or Hulu and it'll be like catch the Overwatch World Finals, you know, live or something, and it's just and it's just on. Like, do you think that's going to take over the sports slot for our generation? I don't know if it'll take over the sports slot, but I I could definitely see this becoming its own slot, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. I mean, they already live stream all of these events on YouTube, so I don't see why other services wouldn't be interested in trying to monetize that. Mm -hmm. And clearly there's been growing interest in watching other people play video games. We've spoken about it before, and it is actually kind of entertaining. You might be surprised to hear that when they add their own commentary. Just like a real sporting match, there's commentary, there's exciting twists, there's watching the players react to the various moments. It's it is it is interesting to watch. And I could see an ESPN spin-off channel. This stuff mm. could easily stream for twenty four hours a day with oh, analysis yeah. and whatnot. I think there's there's already certain channels on Twitch that just have reruns of old tournaments going on, like all the time. Like Street Fighter tournaments and Tekken and all that stuff. But yeah, I could totally see a couple of years from now other streaming channels jumping on it. Like, you know, even if I could see like I can see Netflix not really doing live stuff because I don't think that's their thing. It'd be cool if it was, but I'd be I can see them doing like a behind the scenes, you know, like this is how they set up the arena for this Overwatch event or something, or this is what all the players do, like a documentary series. I can see that. Oh yeah. There Step a, one, install a big TV. There is a show on Netflix, um, and oh my gosh, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called like Five Days or Seven Days or something like that. And each mm. episode is kind of counting down and showing how people prepare for really big things. And they did do an episode on these competitive gaming um mm. arena situations and and it's like crazy and i think there was something like it was like a couple years ago that i watched it but i know that um one of the things that they really highlighted was the community surrounding these big gaming teams at these tournaments and how Mm -hmm. um at the end of the day it is a community even though people want to win and i thought that that was a really interesting angle because I, i think that that's something that uh the mainstream public is kind of like missing because it's kind of weird to think, oh yeah, like there's, you know, fans that come out to watch people push buttons, but it's so much more than that for the people that are involved. And I thought that that was really cool. Yeah. And there's something actually I forgot to mention in, uh, in Evo for the Dragon Ball Z. Uh, oh, that's what it was. It was Dragon Ball Z. It was Dragon Ball Z and Smash that Japan wasn't letting be at Evo for, for like a year last year, I think. But this year, Sonic Fox, who's like one of the best, fighting game players ever like he wins tournaments like crazy this is the first year he lost and he lost to his rival and when his rival beat him his rival just started crying because he's never beat him before and he beat him like at the biggest fighting game tournament of the year and like sonic fox just got up and just gave him a big hug and he's just like good job you earned it and i'm like that's like i don't even see professional athletes do that like nope. and these people are playing for thousands of dollars and like he just broke your streak and instead of being like oh you know fuck you he's just like oh like good job man like you did it you know good job you really got me and i'm like man as long did- as professional gamers don't start going around patting each other on the ass like football players do i think we'll <laughs> be fine you don't like that laura i mean maybe no. they're into that 
I think it's weird. Well, and maybe I'm just thinking about how there's been a lot of criticism around the NFL and brain injuries and the the sport being too physical, which affects them later in life. I'm mm-hmm. wondering if people might start looking more positively towards these video game matches because they are in theory safer you're mm-hmm. spending a lot of time sitting in a chair so that is arguably dangerous but mm-hmm. at least you're not bashing each other in yeah in the real all you world could get his carpal yeah. tunnel <laughs> yeah carpal tunnel yeah and like and even that like there like i know there is a uh, smash play that is a really good pikachu player and like whenever he's not playing smash he has this brace on because he's prone to get carpal tunnel and he's like i don't want to you know damage my hand because that's what i like if i if my hand was messed up that'd be it i couldn't really do anything so i wonder if they like can't jerk off or finger bang their girl because like their fingers have to be in good shape for for holding the controller <laughs> that's a good excuse just, just ice it afterwards it'll be fine. <laughs> good excuse just just, just put it on it. ice you know you'll be, you'll you be know what, what would be so interesting about this um do y'all remember how I think it was like Lady Gillette or something insured Rihanna's legs for like a few million dollars because she was their spokesperson at the time. I wonder if some of these like gaming companies would start doing the same thing with like big gamers hands. Mm. Yeah. That'd be interesting. And like use them in all of their advertisements and stuff. How about sponsoring our throats? Our mouths for podcasting. Oh, I I was like, for what? <laughs> <laughs> our voice is our tool, is our hands. The last thing I was just going to mention about this is uh, what are some games that we would like to see? Like we would think that would be fun to see in a competitive sense. Like for me, for example, of course, I love fighting games and all, but I think it'd be cool to see like, I don't know, like Mario like old school Mario, like them and them and them trying to complete the level as fast as possible, like a speed run. That would be cool. I actually I would like a Mario Kart tournament. And the only reason I say that is because that's probably the only one I would actually maybe have a shot at winning. Mm. So I would I would train for a Mario Kart eight tournament, especially if it meant twenty one thousand dollars in a weekend. Yeah. Oof, geez. Yeah. I mean hell I'd do it for a grand. <laughs> yeah. Grand. Seriously. I, Crash Team Racing would be fun. Mm. I love this game. I was sitting in the living room the other night, like cursing at the TV because I was playing on adventure mode and I was in like Blizzard Bluffs, I think, in that level. And every fucking time I would be in first place until the end and Retro Crash, every single time I played, came up behind me and hit me with the same projectile <laughs> right before the finish line every time. And I was like, this keeps happening at this. This is broken. <laughs> this shouldn't be happening. He just really so hated mad. you. I guess so. And Pam's not much of a gamer, so she doesn't have an answer. Mm, no, but I'm with whoever said like old school, old school Mario, because that game is savage. You can't save. Once your three lives yeah. are done, they're done. The stakes yeah, would be like high. It, like it'd be how badass would it be if like Nintendo came out with a Mario Maker level and they're like, you need to complete this level in this time period and the fastest mm-hmm. time wins, yeah. and it's just people like in an arena going through. Because <laughs> again, that that's, that's a good, a good example of like a game that doesn't look like much skill is involved, but mm-hmm. there is some skill. Involved. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh god, yeah. Have you yeah. 
Have you guys seen the hardest Mario Maker 2 level yet? Yeah, the fire. The, the fire, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's turned into a great meme, too. Yeah. <laughs> Me avoiding all of my family or life's problems. Or... Relatable. <laughs> Mark, of do them. you have Mario Maker yet? I do not. I, um, oh. I'm trying to get finished, moved in yet, and buying all the stuff I need. Then I'll get okay. back on my gaming catalog. Well, you need Mario Maker. I mean, I, it's fantastic. I do. I mean, Hero came out, so I'm going to be playing hero okay. dragon quest hero on in smash for a while that'll that'll keep me satiated for a little bit well but, when you do and when you start creating courses let me know and we can play each other's courses i will i will say though a lot of my friends have mario maker so i'm still getting my fix i just don't own it myself i see gotcha i'm just you know mooching off my friends babe good you, idea you can get it you don't have to wait i mean i we gotta get other stuff you know i gotta get the get the other bookshelf you know i wish as soon as laura said that he just dropped the microphone and <laughs> just off gone to target <laughs> going to best buy Be right finally <laughs> <laughs> all right one more story today yes we're gonna keep it in the digital sphere uh let's switch over to youtube a vlogging family is now selling a doll replica of their newborn son i'm not joking this is like the weirdest story i've seen come out of youtube in a while why do you have to talk about me so the doll is based off of the Ingham family's newborn Jace at two weeks old and was created by the Mary Shortle Nursery. You can get your hands on one of these dolls for $340, and that includes a birth certificate hand-signed by the family and Mary Shortle herself. Uh, it is limited edition, though, so if you're interested, you better act fast because they only made 250 And for those of you that are looking to spend a little bit more money, you can also get a $418 version, which includes accessories. So that's not Ooh. the only way they're advertising this. They're also promoting upcoming Baby J Stall tea party events where the owners will be able to come and meet the family in person and have some... And talk about how much disposable income they all have. Right, exactly. And, you know, I guess they'll give you cake and drinks. So that's a good reason <laughs> to go if you're hungry. Um, so it's actually kind of interesting because the description for the doll does state very clearly that it is a replica, which means that, you know, it looks very similar to the baby at that age. But then Father Chris Ingham told BuzzFeed the doll isn't a replica, so there's a bit of a discrepancy there. He said, quote, a replica doll of Jace. It's not a replica doll of Jace or even one that has been manufactured to look like him, but a normal baby reborn doll that was called Jace Ingham and meant to represent our baby do our baby boy. So, I mean, regardless, I think this is pretty creepy. So uh, my discussion questions for this are why? And also, doesn't this kind of feel like a money grab? Um, so I'm looking at the picture that totally looks like that baby. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't know. know what this dad is talking about. Well, because maybe people would start complaining that it wasn't a perfect replica. Hmm. Like it was and missing a few so eyelashes or something. Like the if you actually had a person that would buy a replica of somebody else's child and then be paying enough attention to be like, this doesn't look exactly like the real thing. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> That's true. And wouldn't you, because there are a lot of weirdo YouTube viewers out there. So wouldn't you be afraid what these people would be doing with that doll? Yeah. I mean, honestly, aside from that, this is why I'm, uh, I, I don't know how I feel about family channels on YouTube. 
specifically for the safety of yeah. the children. I mean, I I am super paranoid as an individual and I'm an adult. So I can't imagine what it must be like for these kids that are, you know, not choosing to, but are growing up in front of the family because the parents have realized that it's a really easy way to make money mm-hmm. and then yeah. have to go to public school or even private school while their lives are being documented. Yeah. Yeah. I always like, what was that family? I feel like they were popular for a long time. Is it the it shade cards? Like, I don't know. It was like, two parents two children and like the parents tried really hard to seem like hip and young that could literally be any youtube family (laughs) yeah i just remember they were really popular for a while and i would see their stupid videos everywhere i went to their website one day out of curiosity and it was just all geared towards advertisers and i was like whoa you're selling your children's youth to make money that is so fucked up (laughs) but what if what if to play devil's advocate it's all going to the kids college funds wouldn't that be worth it it is yeah no in theory it should be unless they try to make their kids youtube stars and then they think they won't need college but i would like to think that this money that they are raising is going to benefit the children in some way i would hope so but then it it raises the question about choice Because when you're a child, you have no choice in the matter if your parents decide to make the family into a YouTube sensation. Like this baby, Jace, has no choice when it comes to this. Like I'm looking at this article. Apparently, they they live streamed her birth. Ooh. What the fuck? (laughs) YouTubers are a little bit crazy, but they'll do whatever it takes to make some money. I think in the case of this doll, and I know, Pam, you want to transition into this part of the discussion, but I think it's a very unique idea. So that's why it caught so many people's attention. And that's that's why there was a BuzzFeed News article made out of it. Nobody had done that before. A lot of YouTubers these days, they'll do these book deals and they just scream. I mean, everything they do screams cash grab. It None of it, none of it seems genuine. And... I just think they're doing what they got to do to stand out and make a little extra money. Yeah, I mean, and that is a good transition to what I wanted to bring up, which is how YouTubers make money, uh, something that you might not know very much about. There is a lot that really goes into it, but we're just going to condense it for the sake of time. So if you want to make money strictly just through YouTube, you have to apply and be accepted for their partner program. And you have to opt into Google AdSense, which is a program that matches relevant advertisement to your channel's content. So Google pays out 68% of the AdSense revenue to the publisher, which is the person that posts the video. But the actual rate advertisers pay per view varies, and it averages out to about 18 cents per view. So it's not a lot, but obviously, if you're getting millions and millions of views and your videos qualify for this then, you know, that's great. You can make a pretty nice chunk of change. And the if your videos qualify is really important to take into account here. Because while, um, you know, there was a time where almost anything could accrue revenue on YouTube, times have really changed since then, specifically over the past few years, where YouTube has really seen a lot of bad press when it comes to what types of content has been able to be monetized. 
So, um, yeah. you know, there was a big outrage over the public realizing that extremist videos and propaganda videos were able to accrue monetization. And also there was another snafu featuring the promotion of inappropriate content geared towards children. Um, there's also a big ordeal going on over monetization of copyrighted content and what constitutes as fair use. And there's also the case of, you know, Bigger YouTubers like Logan Paul, who thought it was cool to film a dead body, and then, you know, they had to go back and figure out how to deal with that and also make sure that they were filtering out what content is appropriate for all advertisers and what isn't. And that's why you're seeing a lot of YouTubers, if you follow uh, this particular social media platform, talk a lot about uh, their videos getting demonetized, even if it's not worth being demonetized demonetized. And then specifically taking it back to family vloggers, uh, there was also a recent controversy that sprouted up earlier this year, where somebody found this weird wormhole that was leading to strange videos of children and, you know, uh, tagging YouTube as kind of this um, weird paradox that is actually enabling child predators to take advantage of the fact that a lot of people allow their kids to be on the platform. So kind of turning something that's supposed to be really innocent to something that's really dark and grotesque. And family vloggers actually took a pretty big hit when this all came to the surface because YouTube, to fix the problem really quickly, started disabling comments on a lot of videos, which changes up what is monetized and what's not, even if the channel is like super innocent. Um, And that kind of leads to people really realizing that AdSense is great, but it's not really... Um, you know, like you can't count on it. So then you have like third means of monetization, including Patreon and also uh, third party advertising. So if you see people talking about, say, SeatGeek on a video, that's a third party ad that they're bringing into their channel. And then, of course, merchandise, which again, kind of feeds right back into this baby J stall that we're talking about today. So and Pam, I don't know where you got these numbers from, but I think actually 18 cents per view is extremely high. It was like it was uh, an it- average. So that's like not okay. uh, the norm. Well, because normally the metric is uh, per 1,000 views. This is how display advertising and video advertising works. And on a good day, video advertise uh, video advertisements make about, let's say, $5 per 1,000 views. It, it, it makes very little money. And one of the big problems with YouTube recently, because of the reasons you're describing advertisers are weary to advertise on YouTube because they don't know what videos they're actually going to be appearing on. So they just decide to look elsewhere. They want to make sure that their ads are appearing attached to good content instead of things that'll get them in trouble. So and that's where I, it gets I know a what... little tricky, to be honest with you, because AdSense is something that everybody can turn on. But then depending on how successful you are, It kind of changes the scope of things. And it was really hard to find definitive answers for a lot of the actual specific numbers for this. Because on top of that, if your videos are like in the top 5% of YouTube and YouTube kind of deems your channel as like generally appropriate for everybody, you can also be part of the Google Preferred program, which, you know, is like a whole different spectrum. So they're really cagey with that's where the good money is once you're in those preferred programs with tons tons of viewers then you're good but yeah for most people for the average joe if you're looking to start a youtube channel honestly you are not going to make 
that much money off of it. You're going to make very little. Right, right. This and is something like we deal with. Partner program too, because that's yes. a whole other situation entirely as well. the The best way would probably be Patreon, or mm-hmm. if you have a following, using Patreon or third party advertising. And full disclosure, Millennial obviously has a Patreon, and we use third party advertising. If we put these videos on YouTube, we wouldn't be making jack shit. <laughs> if you all listened on YouTube and our sole income was you watching the YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> this show would have died a long time ago. <laughs> I would be, yeah, it would be robot Andrew talking to you. And I, real Andrew, would be working over at Starbucks right now or something else to make some, I'd be, I'd be an Uber driver still. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, it's it's a it's a messy world. It's a messy world. And so I don't blame people when when they make dolls of their children. Yeah, it's creepy, but I do. Don't worry. Andrew <laughs> doesn't blame you, but I have enough blame for the both of us. I'm silently it's judging, fucked up and so weird. I think I'm on your side. <laughs> Become a web publisher, Laura, then you'll understand why I have my own doll in development that I'm going to sell at Hypable. But what you kind know of what? doll you... is it? You are an adult and you are capable of making that choice. So ah. I support you. Okay. Fair. What kind of doll, Pam? A real doll. Oh my gosh. It comes with it's Andrew's around. a real boy now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what a real doll is, right, Laura? Yeah, I know. I'm I'm fucking with you. Okay, just checking. <laughs> I wish you said no, so I could have just been like, one that you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I don't know how to transition into our next advertiser. <laughs> I know. Well, here here's an advertiser who is actually supporting us, and we really appreciate it because you do pay us well. <laughs> and we don't have to make dolls of ourselves. Paint Your Life. They are, again, sponsoring Millennial. At Paint Your Life, you can get a portrait hand-painted from any photo at an affordable price. You know, we all look for ways to decorate our home and make it feel uniquely ours. And of course, hanging photos is always a great way to do that. But Paint Your Life lets you take that idea one step further by having an artist create a hand-painted version of one of your most treasured photographs. When my painting arrived to Brooklyn, I was just in love with the quality of it, the fact that it was really hand-painted and yet still photorealistic. And funnily enough, it came on the day Brooklyn had gone in for surgery. So at first I was like, ooh, bad omen. That's not good. Why is it being delivered this day? The timing actually could not have been more perfect. Getting a painting of my dog was actually something I'd always wanted to do. Because in my opinion, a a painting helps solidify your love for something or someone. It's almost like a tattoo. It's a unique and deeply personal creation that says something about who you are. How it works is simple. You upload a photo you want turned into a painting, and you can ask for certain modifications. For example, like I said last week, I requested that they remove Brooklyn's harness in the photo because I didn't want that in the painting. Don't waste the red ink. Just paint more of his fur. They send you a proof to make sure you like what they're about to create, and then you can approve it or ask for more modifications. And then a couple weeks later, you get the painting in the mail. This is a true painting done by hand by a world-class artist created from a favorite photo of yours. If you don't want to do this for yourself, think about it for an upcoming birthday or anniversary gift. This is an original idea. You are going to floor people with this idea. 
And you can rest easy knowing it's going to be based on a photo and not someone's interpretation of a person or an animal like a caricature would be. I would never want that of Brooklyn because who knows what the fuck you would get. The prices are affordable. But we're about to make it even more affordable for you. Right now, as a limited time offer, get 30% off your first painting. That's right, 30% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word M-I-L-L to 484848. That's M-I-L-L to 484848. Text M-I-L-L to 484848. Message and data rates may apply. Thank you, Paint Your Life. All right, time now for some emails. Laura, do you want to take the first one? Sure. The first one comes from Rachel. Rachel says, just listen to this week's show. I have something to add to your discussion about physical copies versus digital. I still buy a lot of physical copies, but when I'm particularly into a book and don't want to take it everywhere, or when I'm broke and I can't afford new books or movies, I'll resort to the library. The library in my city has both physical and digital copies of things. So if I'm traveling and don't want to take my physical book with me, I borrow the ebook from my local library's app. I also remind my friends and family about the existence of the library on the regular. Why pay to rent a movie when you can borrow it for free? The library also has free digital audiobooks to download too. It's not always foolproof because sometimes there's a wait list, but it's always the first place I go. Just my own little life hack to saving money and traveling semi-light. Love the show, Rachel. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Pam, you still frequent the library, don't you? I do. I think I tweeted about this uh, not long ago. But yeah, libraries are awesome and they make it super easy. And uh, my library, and I think most of them now too, they use an app called Overdrive. So you can search for audiobooks straight through there. And if it's available, you can download it. They usually have multiple copies. And also searching for ebooks, which are instant. You're like You don't even have to leave your house. It's great. And I just found out that my mm. library actually has a free subscription to the New York Times online. So I'm oh. going to cancel my subscription. Oh, I need to damn. save some money oh, nice. and read through them wow. for a while. But yeah, it's really great. It's it's amazing. And I know libraries seem outdated, but they're really trying to get with the times. So if you haven't visited your local library, it's a good time to start. I've been looking forward to this next email, but I know Laura wanted to wait, wait until Mark was on. This is from Marie. I have a question for you. My boyfriend is quite into gaming, the latest Battlefield and Apex right now, and we even listened to your E3 highlights together. I would really like to try it out as well. For some reason, I just never got around to playing anything. Do you have any recommendations for games that do not need too many skills, as I don't have any, and that still have an interesting storyline or background? I would love to hear your recommendations. Well, first of all, I would say thank you for listening to the E3 uh, coverage. Hashtag said Mark to E3. And um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that she's being a little bit too hard on herself. Everybody has skills in terms of video games. It just depends on finding what skill you're good at, right? Like you may not have the greatest eye-hand coordination, but maybe you have really good memory, you know, which is good in some games. Or you're really good at recognizing patterns or whatever. So I would just see like if, if you're looking at first person shooters like apex or battlefield i think overwatch is a good starting point because even though overwatch can be very complicated it's a good you know the the skill the skill ceiling isn't super super high well it is high but the starting ceiling isn't that high so you can you know go in pick one champion you know maybe may or 
soldier or tracer and just keep on playing that character so you get comfortable with the mechanics how the game works etc if he's into fighting games i'd go with smash because it's the same thing you can just pick one character get good at that character racing the mario kart series or crash team racing like if you want something with a good story i would just find I would play like The Last of Us or something, Red Dead, anything that's story driven. And I would just take turns playing. I would just sit down on the couch and, you know, he could play a level, you could play a level. And that way you can kind of see what he's doing if you don't know what to do. And you kind of pick up the story from there and all that. So it just comes down to what games you guys want to play together because there's a starting point for really anybody, especially nowadays. So just since yeah. the, the, the game companies know that people are going to be playing these games who have never played games before. My biggest misconception before getting into video games again in 2017 was that I would never know what to do. I would mm-hmm. continuously have to refer to playthrough guides. I just thought it was all over my head. And I was like, how would I remember these big open worlds and all that? What I didn't realize is that most of these games actually tell you what you need to do next. They oh, yeah. tell you the direction mm-hmm. you need to walk in. They tell, they rem- they keep logs of everything so you don't need to remember what people are saying. They're actually easier than you think. Mm-hmm. God of War, Red Dead Redemption 2, um what's that robot dinosaur one? Oh, Horizon. Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They they're actually easier than you might think. Mm-hmm. Load them up and just pay attention to where it's pointing you to go. I mean, it'll tell you down to the foot how far away you are from something like it (laughs) yeah and and what's crazy too is like a lot of my games a lot of the or a lot of the classes i've been in that talk about the psychology of games and how to make goals for your players a lot of times game developers will give you a path to go on and there'll be a bunch of different branching paths and they will make it so you pick the path they want you to pick whether it's you know the lighting of the path or the way the path goes or different things on the path so like even if it seems overwhelming and it seems like you're not going the right way just kind of go with it because more often mm-hmm. than not the game developer is trying to herd you in the right path anyway you yeah, know so right. you're I mean, it's not it's not as overwhelming as it looks also so many games allow you to choose the difficulty level Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty much I'm a very much like newbie gaming person. Like I played a lot of um, like Crash and Spyro and things like that when I was a kid. But it wasn't until I met Mark that I started getting into more detailed games. And like Last of Us allows you to choose the difficulty level. Um, Detroit is another really good one with a really good story. And you can choose whether you want to play like easy, medium or difficult. And it's always fun to like play through a game on easy or medium and then go back once you've beat it and see what it looks like to play on difficult. Mm-hmm. Because that also just helps you increase your skill level. So yeah, and, keep and that in you, mind as well. You beat a Ratchet and Clank too, which... I mean, oh, Yeah. That's the, I the loved game. Ratchet and Clank. That yeah, was a I'll, good game. Yeah, a lot happens in that game, and you mm-hmm. you were doing fine. Spider Man too. Oh, Spyro! That game. Oh, that game's so good. <laughs> All right, and one more today. Who wants to read? The, who wants to I'll, read the dark one? <laughs> I'll do it. I I live in the dark. Um, <laughs> Despite being man. so bright. Oh, yeah, because I'm pale. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this is actually a confessional. 
It says, I just found out I'm about four weeks pregnant. I'm 28 and I have a one year and three month old daughter. I'm halfway through grad school and my boyfriend slash the father of my child just finished school and has started a new job. I teetered on the edge of postpartum depression following the birth of my daughter, but I'm finally starting to get to a good place. Now is not the time for us to have a second child. I plan to have the abortion soon, but it sucks to have to go through this. As a side note, I have always been pro-choice, and I'm so grateful to live in a state where abortions are legal and accessible. Good for you. Yeah, like that you that, can recognize that. And- yeah, well, I mean, first of all, that you can recognize that you wouldn't necessarily be able to give both children everything that they would need at this point in your life and for recognizing your limitations, your partner's limitations and for speaking up about it too, because I think this is one of those scenarios that's so taboo that people don't talk about it, but it's actually pretty common. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, if if you did talk about it somewhere like social media, you are almost guaranteed oh, to get some very frustrating remarks from friends and family. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm glad that um, you were comfortable sharing with that or sharing that with us. Yeah, we won't judge you for this cheating. Yes, this no. <laughs> <laughs> that. For reference, that was a different confessional. Yes, 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 of course. Unrelated, (laughs) as far as we know. All right, time now for recommendations. This one came to me at the beginning of today's episode. Splitwise is my recommendation. Pat actually found this. So if you have a roommate or a significant other who you live with, and you have a bunch of bills to split, but you don't want to be like, oh, well, you paid for the phone bill, but I paid for Netflix and and you paid rent. So let's do all the math on that with, an ex- uh, with a confusing Excel spreadsheet. You don't have to deal with that with Splitwise. You just add all the bills in the app and who paid for what, and then it does the rest for you. And you can actually pay right through Venmo within Splitwise. So it's super convenient. And Pat and I have our little home group now, and you can set up recurring bills, or you can add bills as you go along, say for something that varies, like an electric bill, and then it all gets sorted out, and you can send that person reminders and all that. So it's a cool way for people to split all of their expenses evenly without having to do the frustrating math that often comes alongside that type of situation. My recommendation is the final season of Orange is the New Black, which premiered, I think, about a week ago now on Netflix. And I was actually going to hold off on watching because I struggled a lot with the last few seasons. I thought that they were pretty slow moving until they got kind of towards the climax and then they were really good. And I just didn't know if it was worth it to sit through 13 episodes of similar pacing, but I'm really actually glad that I sat through it. And um, I haven't really cared a lot about Piper and Alex's story for a really long time now, but there's so many other really good um, storylines that are like still going on from past seasons that they wrap up, but also some really interesting stuff that they included as well. They did a whole uh, storyline on the, um, 
um, God, all I can think of is like concentration camps, but I, I guess that's what they are, but like holding centers uh, for immigrants. And that was really interesting. And yeah, it's really worth watching, especially if you've been invested and you weren't really sure if you wanted to watch the final season. Highly recommend that. I am going to watch, but I'm with you. It's a slow moving show. It's a long hour of TV each episode. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I do feel like a lot of the like, it, it's hard because they don't just show you one storyline they don't split it up by storyline it's like everybody's kind of intermingled and there were definitely parts that i wasn't as interested in as other parts but the parts that are good made it worth it for sure yeah i struggled with that show after the second season because i like couldn't really get into season three so i'll have to try and get back into it and check that out Um, I would also like to recommend a TV show, HBO's Chernobyl. Have you guys watched this yet? Yeah, also a tough watch. Yeah, definitely. But also so well done. Really good. Um, I found out, because I just started this a couple days ago, but I found out that the composer apparently went around to like several different nuclear plants and recorded all of the really creepy, eerie, like, creaks and groans that the generators make and incorporated those into the the music for the show. Huh. And it's so haunting, um, really beautifully written and acted, so highly recommend. Mine, I'd say, is going to be a board game called Betrayal of House on the Hill. Uh, we played it. I played it a couple times. We played it on vacation, and it's really fun. Like you, you start the game, and each turn you uncover a new room. So you build the house, the haunted house, as the game goes on. And then there are different scenarios that happen. So I've played the game like I'd say five or six times, and every single time has been a different scenario, which is pretty cool. So get a bunch of friends and get some drinks, and there you go. Yeah, I'm so appreciative of board games and card games these days when mm-hmm. we spend so much time on our phones. Just something that doesn't involve a screen, something fun that doesn't involve a screen. What are we talking about in After Dark today? So as Pam alluded to in the main show, we're going to be talking about a new YouGov poll that revealed 22% of millennials say they have no friends and often feel lonely. So we're going to talk about why we think that is and how it compares to past generations and what the possible consequences for this would be. I feel like I have no friends, but I also don't feel lonely. So maybe I do have friends? Wow. Well, fuck me then. I know, geez. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew's like, yeah, I mean, I have no friends, but Laura, you can come sleep in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we'll talk about today. All my friends are internet friends. I'll, I'll touch on that. That yeah. should be on a shirt. Is that Has somebody made a shirt out of that yet? I'm I would pretty wear that. sure. Yeah, I, can, <laughs> I would, should imagine so. The first After Dark of the month is available to $2 patrons and higher. Normally, it is available to $5 patrons or higher. That is, by the way, a part of Mega Millennial, which is... Uh, ad-free millennial with after dark all in one convenient mp3 file you don't even have to deal with mp3 files you can just grab this custom rss feed that you receive right on patreon pop it into your favorite podcasting app and you will automatically receive 
new episodes of Ad-Free Millennial and After Dark each week. It's just like listening to any other podcast. But with this one, you're supporting us. <laughs> and we don't have to sell baby dolls. So thank you. Patreon.com slash Millennial. And thanks everybody who is listening live through Patreon this evening. If you would like to contact us, you can write to millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form on millennialshow.com. And don't forget about our confessional as well right there on the website if you want to submit something anonymously. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I apologize. There were no clips from the show on social media last week because Jewel was gone. Laura was gone. I had to fend for myself, and I just threw my hands up in the air. I said, fuck it, and I crawled into a corner and cried instead of actually being productive. <laughs> Andrew represents approximately 15% of the 22% of millennials who feel lonely. <laughs> well, I was going to make a social media clip, but then I was like, well, fuck, I also have to make the show notes. Why should I do everything? So I just didn't. <laughs> Now you know how it feels on on the random like one week a year when you're not around. I I know. <laughs> I understand. It, like but both of you are gone and I didn't want to yeah. ask Pam to do anything. So How sweet of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Me and Jewel were both like chilling on beaches and Yeah. Leaving Andrew to I'm his like own in the devices. fetal position, unable to do anything. <laughs> Anyway, we should be back to normal this week on our social media channels. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Mark. Bye, everybody. See ya.